the sales adoption of PLS has been overestimated. Like the fundamental nature of salespeople is that I don't need any data. You tell me what you're selling. You tell me the value prop. I can take a person to a steak dinner. I can convince them. I'm not going to convince somebody at a dinner, like here are all the data points. That's not how people make decisions. You know, there's system one, system two thinking where system one doesn't need any data. It's just an emotion. And salespeople work on system one. Everybody is going from this sales-led to product-led utopia where things need to be more transparent and not everybody is going at the same speed not everybody thinks that they should move with the specific technology so the emergence of one really large player that comes bottom up and says everybody's on this or you die is very unlikely Thrivecast listeners, in our today's podcast, uh, we're going to talk about building bridges and the quest for a unified playbook in the SaaS growth. With me joining us today is Arjun Saxena, who's the CEO uh, and founder of Humanic.ai. He's got a very unique career. He started his career with being a network engineer at Inktomi, and uh, Arjun, correct me if I'm going wrong with that. He's done product management roles at Yahoo and Flickr, ran growth at Adobe Photoshop and Evernote. And much recently in 2021, he founded Humanic.ai to build a very unique and innovative platform for PLG. I think you were the first one to even call it as the PLG OS. Arjun, welcome. Welcome to Thrivecast. Thank you, Gururaj. Really happy to be uh, on the podcast and looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. Arjun, you have tasted the waters, if you will at various places. You've been looking at product-led sales very interestingly, very uniquely that, hey, is this is this a product? Is it a company? Is it something that is solving the pain across the board? And then I think very recently you had shared some insights that, hey, there are so many silos. There are so many silos in a SaaS company, meaning there are so many departments. Each departments have their own tools. And to listeners, or today's conversation is going to really talk about why are these silos so very different and what are the things that we could do to build bridges on that. And to open up the conversation, maybe Arjun, could you tell a little bit about your inspiration to go build Humanic? What was your primary problem that you're trying to solve? And how did you go about thinking that this is going to be the product-led growth OS? Cool. Thank you. I ran growth uh, at Adobe Creative Cloud, which had Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. At that time, we had about 350 million users at Adobe. We had a whole bunch of data. And we had a large team, as most large companies have. The issue was that there was one building, literally one separate building, which had the data team. And they were responsible for collecting all the Photoshop data, instrumentation, all of that stuff, put it in Cloudera and and stuff like that. Then there was literally another building which had 40-odd machine learning engineers, all kinds of PhD types who would work on the modeling. And then we had the Creative Cloud team, which was in San Francisco in the Adobe office. And the idea was that you would take this product usage data and be able to get more and more people to start using Photoshop more. Photoshop is a complex product, and most people that come in believe mostly students they come in they want to create these fancy posters and they just can't get started people spend on an average 180 minutes on the first day on photoshop and then on the second and third day it goes down to almost five minutes because they just can't figure it out so that was a big problem and we wanted to solve it with data this was way back 70 years ago and during this entire process we came up with hypothesis to say these are what people are doing we came up with 90 hypotheses that people when they come in, they do one, two, three, four, and therefore they should be given all of these things. Guess how many of these hypotheses were true after nine months of experimentation? Four. 
in which people actually went through the four steps that data science and everybody thought they, sh they should be going through. So the realization was that the hypothesis that most companies have about what people are doing in their product are outdated at best. They have been done once years ago that has been diffused and percolated in the organization to say, oh, this is what people are doing and everything gets built around that. So life cycle, marketing, onboarding, your tool tips, everything in-app notifications are based on this sort of stale thing because the product features are being released on a weekly, daily, monthly cadence. Whereas the onboarding steps have been predefined that this is how we are building it. So there is a disconnect there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was the inspiration to say, can we have a better view or a current view, dynamic view of what the onboarding steps actually are before we spend millions of dollars to instrument, come up with journeys and try and nudge people. And as the industry that nudging thing isn't working out for most people. So that genesis of where it was. I think, let me try to reduce that in my head. What you're saying is that as companies, SaaS products add more and more features, onboarding becomes more and more complex. The larger part of the organization has taken a snapshot of what might be the onboarding and what might be the customer journey much ahead of time, could be even six months, nine months and stale, right? And the realization that you had is the product usage has changed significantly, but the rest of the organization, marketing, the product management, all believes in the old stale customer journey and the entire processes are around it. And I'm guessing what you're trying to say is because the data is stale and the decisions that were stale, you went on a quest to find out what if I make the data and the decision as current as possible so that the rest of the organization can then follow through and not just use gold yeah. mechanics. Is that a good summary there? Yeah. So maybe could you tell me since then, since you left Adobe, you went uh, to work at Evernote, and you ran a couple of growth programs. You've been talking to lots and lots of early stage, mid stage and large scale companies. Could you be able to describe the current state of things, right? Is this the problem across the entire market? Could you tell a little more about which are the silos which are really out of date, if you will? What are the tools and the products that these silos are using today? And why are they not connected to each other? So it looks like you went on the foray to go figure out how do you can connect this entire set of things so what did you find out after you started and founded Humanic and starting talking to lots and lots of customers? So yeah, any think, insights that you could share? Yeah, I think it's the classic case of innovators dilemma, but at ecosystem level. So let me explain what I mean by that. So if you go back 10 years, 15 years, sales had nothing to do with marketing. Marketing had nothing to do with product. Product, if you go back all the way back to Cisco, somebody made the product, they marketing did its own thing, and then sales did a completely different thing. They took people out for steak dinners and sold a bunch of routing gear. They had nothing to do with each other. As we are getting into SaaS, as we started getting into SaaS, they became closer. And with PLG in the last mm -hmm. five, six years, these things are interdependent. You can't build a product without doing marketing. Marketing can't do sales. But the behemoths in the industry, like for sales, it's Salesforce. For marketing, it's maybe Adobe Marketing Cloud or Marketo or something like that. And then for product, there is Atlassian and other kinds of tools that help you build product. Now, they are coming together. Each one of these big $100, $200 billion companies are adding features so they can subsume marketing and product. And why so Atlassian is doing marketing. They bought a couple of companies that help you do that. 
simultaneously, there are people are seeing this opportunity to say, can I do a better Salesforce bridge for people who have Salesforce that also want to do marketing that is better than SFMC, cheaper than, faster than. So there is a whole slew of companies that have come on on top of, let's say, Salesforce, Adobe, and Atlassian that are trying to, in different ways to build bridges. But if you are a CIO at a large company, you're like, I don't trust any of these people. They are different personalities. Some would say, I just wait till Salesforce builds this. Some will say, no, Salesforce is never going to build it. So I'm going to jump in with one vendor or the other. And each of these vendor players are starting either on the sales side and they're saying, okay, I'm going to do PLS, which is I'm going to take product usage data and help salespeople. Some people are saying, I'm going to use sales data and help product teams do better. There's all kinds of companies that say, give me customer feedback and I'll help you plan your products better. And us, we are, in, we are saying that we want to start with marketing. And there are different starting points for people to build this bridge. And there are different types of solutions or variations of what their focus is in terms of seed stage, series A, series B, et cetera. The utopia is where this is all going in the next three to five years is that there needs to be this interconnectedness. So there is an approach which says, I'm going to build a brand new system which has sales, marketing, product, customer success, all in one tool. You don't need any tool, which is like the North Star. And then we are as an ecosystem building bridges from these three, four big behemoth players and, and, and building this out there. So that's the ecosystem of go-to-market tech. I don't think there is going to be for a long time winner take all. Like there isn't going mm -hmm. to be another Salesforce type thing, but there are going to be a whole bunch of smaller people that do one thing really well and they go deep uh, with this. The other thing that's been added, sorry if this is too long, but the other thing that has been added in the last year is this entire concept of ML ops and LLM ops, where that used to be a completely different building group. And mm -hmm. because now product, marketing, sales have the potential to talk text to SQL, that has also gotten embedded into all of these two. Let me understand this a little more. So what you're saying is there has been silos. GT marketing and sales had their own set of tools. Product has its own set of tools. Development teams would have their own set of tools. But now they used to work now really well with the sales-led era, right? So you mentioned about Salesforce and how these tools were percolating into that particular space. But because of the new emergence of product-led, which is a lot more bottom-up usage-based things, and then the customers themselves are self-serving, these silos, as they might have been, and the tool sets that were associated to that, and all the selling motions that you know, all these SaaS companies used to build only for the sales guys, only for the marketing guys. Now that's getting destroyed. And But what I think what you're trying to say is there are still companies who are building bridges between marketing and sales, using whatever the information that marketing has. Yeah. Still companies who are doing product usage data to sales, like the PLS aspect of it. But all of these are so interconnected and they might have been, it was okay to have these silos in the sales led era, but now with the product led coming in alongside with the hybrid growth coming in, these silos are too difficult to handle, right? Uh, and that's why either they are bridges or you need to completely reboot this. Would that be right to say that these bridges are just too small at this moment to cover the entire gap? 
Yeah, I think absolutely. Thank you for summarizing that again. Yeah, I think the bridges, it's too complex to have a universal tool that bridges the data issues for all kinds of companies. So everybody is trying to focus on certain data, certain outcomes, certain persona, push certain things in this micro building these bridges. Obviously, there is the reboot effort which says, okay, let's just start from scratch. There are also the data warehouse players like the Snowflake, the ThoughtSpots mm. that are saying, we are also in the business of collecting all the data and you can build any kind of thing on top of that. So there is the data analytics play and players, Looker, everybody else that are saying, give me all your data and then you can build whatever. So that is an approach that is very scalable, very thought through technical. But then there are all these go-to-market players which are saying, okay, that's heavy investment. That's going to take a long time. I'll give you a bridge right now. Yeah. Uh, it's immediate. It's PLG. It's no risk, no hassle type of thing. And the key thing is people are starting at different points with different personas and everybody's claiming that in act two, act three, they're going to do all the other things. It's just very hard to exit as we all know. Wherever you start is where you stay. And, but the, the hope and, and the ambition is that you go adjacent, you cover all the adjacencies. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why there's these uh, hundreds and thousands of these SaaS companies who are targeting one portion of the bridge go from sales-led growth companies go from marketing to sales, right? Another would be, hey, that's very difficult. So he's building from sales to product. So this is all different bridges. And when you look at this, it's like an interconnected mesh network. So just to stretch on this topic a little bit more, pull this thread along. If you understand sales well, you think that sales has a lot of disposable income. They can buy stuff because it's immediate. So selling to salespeople is easy. If you're a data kind of founder, you're like, salespeople don't care about data. So even if I give them all these signals, like PLS signals, they're never going to adopt it. And I don't understand selling to salespeople. I understand data people, so I'll sell to data people. Or if you're like more marketing focused, you say, I understand marketing better. They are the right balance between sales who's aggressive and data that is going to find too many faults in the product. You take that approach. So I think it, Everybody has their own experiences and flavor and what is going to be most fastest way for them to get to some stable state or, or escape yeah. velocity. Is there a buyer? Is there a buyer for whatever that bridge that they're building? Is there a buyer for that? So maybe let's peel a few layers of the onion there. I know you have been in the product-led sales category. That category has gone through multiple innovative cycles just in the last one and a half to two years time or so. I remember and we wrote a research document on that about a month back or so. We learned quite a bit of things, but could you share a little more about what is product-led sales? And maybe we'll start from that. What is product-led sales? Who needs it? What are the problems associated to it? Especially in the case of the bridge that we're talking about. Is that a bridge between product and sales, or is that something completely different? Maybe could you explain what that particular landscape of product-led sales or PLS is, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, fascinating. We've been watching closely this entire PLS journey, and we've been thinking about PLS years before it became such a thing. I think the challenge with PLS, or the promise with PLS, is that you can take product usage data and use it to influence sales outcomes in a favorable manner. Mm -hmm. And the challenge there is, one, you need a lot of data, you need a lot of users, especially if you are applying machine learning techniques to implement, you need third-party data. 
and it is not easy to build churn propensity or conversion propensity models that can be productized. Think about it. If it could be productized, mm -hmm. Amazon SageMaker would have one solution which says, here is your churn predictor. Give me the data, XYZ yeah. data, I'm going to predict churn. Machine learning models take three to six months to stabilize, to converge. It needs to be bespoke. Most of the people who invested in PLS companies come from large companies where they have implemented these things. So like a Dropbox, like we did it at Adobe. I'm sure people have done it in mm -hmm. all large companies. And those were the investors and angels that said, we've already done it for Dropbox. So everybody needs it. The challenge is that Dropbox was a one-off thing, which required like 20 engineers to build and start and tune. But for a PLS vendor to tune general purpose model to predict outcome for a net new company is just not sizable. That's the problem with machine learning. This has not been done with PLS vendors. If you look at lead scoring vendors like Lattice or Aviso and all these others that came in 12 years ago, they did the exact same model where they said, we do it for lead scoring and we'll do get all this data. And, and they had to pivot and find their own places. Exact same thing is getting repeated because the underlying technology around machine learning is still the same, which is why there is this diffusion and ambiguity or whether PLS can be productized or not. But it's pretty apparent because the underlying data uh, technology that you're using, like ThoughtSpot yeah. doesn't have a churn model or like Looker doesn't have a churn model. They could, Amplitude could do that, uh, but they couldn't, they don't because it's not repeatable. I think that's the challenge. Uh, now, hold, hold, hold your thought there. Let, hold your thought there. Let me try to understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that from a conceptual standpoint, PLS has a great promise that, you know, what if you could bring product usage data and patterns associated to, to do that for sales. But what you're saying is every single product company is very different and the models there are very specific to that particular company. Dropbox might have its own, Canva, Notion, HubSpot, each of them might have their own. So you can't create a general purpose model, but yet there are these general purpose PLS companies out there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the companies might be similar, like Dropbox and Atlassian might be similar. But the machine learning modeling technology that are used can be tuned for both companies, but it takes six months to a year to tune for both companies. And it's like a constant process hmm. to just take that model. So if you try and productize based on two or three things and say, hmm. we'll apply it to Canva now, or we apply to Loom, unless you spend six months tuning that and branching that off, it won't work for Canva. So that's why it's been hard. And most of these PLS companies have become like these long, they, they are, first of all, PLS companies are, none of them are PLG themselves. They're all sales led, top down. Yeah. So it's become a heavy enterprise kind of play, go to market motion, which was not where the promise it was like, you'd build this and, and people will just use it. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is that the sales adoption of PLS has been overestimated. Like the fundamental nature of salespeople is that I don't need any data. You tell me what you're selling. You tell me the value prop. I can take a person to a steak dinner. I can convince them. Uh, it's just me. I have never worked on data. I'm not going to convince somebody at a dinner. Here are all the data points. That's not how people make decisions. There's system one, system two thinking where system one doesn't need any data. It's just an emotion. 
And salespeople work on system one, really good salespeople. Like I connect with people and they believe me. I don't need data. People don't believe because of data. People believe and then they look for data to back up their belief. So I think that is another fundamental thing that has been overestimated. If I give you all this data, you will start believing me. No, that's not how people make buying decisions, especially the buyers who are not even users. They all make decisions with system one thinking. And this is a famous book, Thinking Fast and Slow by, by this Nobel laureate. I forget his name. So that is another fundamental issue with predicting sales. And on the sales side, there have been, this is just one effort. There have been so many efforts to say, I will equip salespeople with more data, more research. I'll give you 10K results. I can give you this. I can give you that. There are hundreds of sales text things. But if you look at salespeople, they don't use they use basically two tools like Salesforce and their own product and they believe in system one thinking. Yeah, emotion versus logic play is fundamental to this. Let me extend what you're saying and see if that makes sense. Even if there is a general purpose model to look at product usage data and there is this this general purpose massively scalable model that anyone you know can actually use, even Canva can use, Adobe can use, somebody else can use. They just have to tune it and that that can be optimized. Having that data is not enough for the sales team because they're not going to use that for emotional selling. They might just use it for maybe a flyby conversation and, hey, by the way, you might have 10 teams using your product. That's just to solidify their emotional behavior rather than use that logic to be able to go convince them. So now I'm a little confused about, in that case, is the promise of, product-led sales, where we are building the bridge between product to sales. And I guess that's what you're saying is, it's a bridge between product to sales, use the product usage data to influence sales. That's not a very interesting signal for sales team. It is a signal, but may not be necessarily completely bought in by them. Yeah, so I think- Is is that right? It goes back to the vitamin versus painkiller value prop to say, it's nice to have, maybe some salespeople love it and they might use it, but 60 to 80% of the salespeople in my experience don't care about data signals. Before a meeting, they're not researching every damn thing that the person has done. They actually have an account manager or, or sales engineer and they're like, let's have a call with our AE or a salesperson, a sales engineer, they'll give you more. So the adoption is not going to be 100%. Like it, at best, it'll be like 20, 30%. Whereas the valuations and the promise is like, oh, this is PLS, 100% of your sales team will absorb this information and be twice as effective. Yeah. Even yeah. though you're building the bridge, if you are undercapitalized and you have this reality check that, oh, I'm only going to get two or 20, 30% of the salespeople to be twice as effective, that's a very bootstrap way of thinking. But if you venture back, you're saying all your salespeople will be twice as effective because I'm giving you this thing. So it becomes that the, as somebody puts it, the outcomes of the salespeople don't double. Nobody's shown that the outcomes of the sales team has doubled because they have PLS data. Unless you can prove that outcome again and again, it's nice to have vitamin. So I think that becomes the entire thing outside of the ecosystem of PLS, PLG. If you look at vitamin for this entire category at some level is a vitamin because most of the money is being made on sales-led growth. On the sales, yeah. Take a series A, series B company, 80% of their deals are sales-led, founder-led sales. 
So they care only 20% of the time about what is happening in the efficiency of raising PLG. And within yeah. that, there is this, you are improving efficiency by only 20% for the PLG. Yeah. So if I'm CEO and I'm running a $100 million business and $80 million is coming from my salespeople, what is my propensity to improve the efficiency of my PLS bridge? So maybe let's turn this slightly differently. So if you're saying that product to sales, the bridge for that probably is about 20% efficient, okay, than the entire promise. If we combine that signal to another bridge, let's say from marketing to sales on a sales-led company, will that get better? And, and what I mean by that is if you combine multiple bridges, wherein the promise of the MQL was that, hey, all the marketing qualified leads, the SDRs and the sales would be able to go use that to have decent enough conversations and then becomes an opportunity for the sales team uh, alongside with the Rolodex. But now you're saying that if you add the product-led usage data as a signal into the sales and you also add the marketing-led qualified signals into sales, will that make sales jobs better or no that's still too much data for sales and they still would not use it so i think that is you hit exactly to the future is that partnership strong tighter alignment partnerships between different players that are strategic is the way that this is going to evolve so think of if you do a parallel with what has happened in the llm space like neural networks are not new mm -hmm. they've been around for 30 years yeah. people have tried all kinds of things yeah. Different DeepMind is doing something and MIT is doing something and it's evolved. Like it was the same kind of ecosystem confusion. Everybody is trying different things. And then suddenly somebody hit upon this all inclusive. Like I'll put all the data in this compressed way. That'll give you this thing that is magical. So I think if you draw a very loose parallel, there are all these bridges being made and people are innovating different things. Some will, one lane will, one lane of bridges will connect together where there will be the right kind of founder mindset to partner strongly with other equally good solutions, hot through solutions that will take a sales led company into the PLS world with a string of two or three partners. And those would be the billion dollar unicorn companies such as mm. has happened in the past where 20 years ago, there were all kinds of search companies from 98 to 2002, Google, had 20 search engines and everybody was like, how do you make money? And then some partnerships came on, they figured out AdWords and things like that. And then slowly Google ate up everybody else in, in the process. But there needs to be, I think, a focus on partnerships because it's too complex for companies to execute so well in different types of companies. Like you're trying to basically okay. say, I'm gonna build Salesforce and Atlassian and Adobe Marketing Cloud together. Interesting. What you're saying is the companies who are building the MQL signals, the companies who are building the PQL or PLS signals, and the companies who are building all of the sales, like the sales force, they may not be able to innovate as fast. And they could partner together, but uh, are you saying that there has to be a, a completely a third company, someone like Google, who can come from bottoms up and re-innovate all of these things? Or are you saying this market is gonna be primed for a long time between like the Salesforce and the data analytics companies and all of that actually partnering together? 
which of these things are you saying that will have a uh, higher chance of this utopian world? So let me preface this by something else that's changed in the last 20 years. Today, there are no greenfield opportunities. What I mean by yeah. that is there is no net new technology that you are building in Google Market Tech that somebody is seeing for the first time. If they aren't using your product, they're using your competitor's product, but they're using some yeah. version of the product. So okay. it's not like they don't have that product. It's your product needs to be what they say, 10x better, and they might be suboptimal, but your product is only incrementally better. But they do have a way of doing those things. So that allows, that means you have to convince a lot of people who are on the business side to start using something that is incrementally okay. better, 30% better, 40% better engaged, which requires a lot of emotional sort of bonding relationship. You've got to try this, is, it's working. You'll be 30% better. I think even if somebody builds it from the ground up, there are so many pockets of antibodies, so many companies that to get the size of HubSpot or Salesforce, is not a technology thing, it's this sales, like a person-to-person -person sales kind of thing, which is not scalable, which will take forever and new things will happen. So I, th I don't think that is going to happen. What is more likely is that we have this partnership model where I have a whole bunch of people that believe me, you have a bunch of people that believe you, we come together and now everybody buys into that, this road of bridges, mm. this road built okay. of bridges. Because you want to bring people along and people trust people and talk to people that they trust kind of thing. So it's more of this okay. uh, emotional connection versus saying, here's net new technology that everybody needs to adopt or they die. Because nobody's dying. Got it. Everybody got it. is okay with where they are. They could be more efficient, but it's fine. Got it, got it. So maybe to summarize, I'm just drawing an analogy from what you're saying. If it's brownfield, now, these two companies will each build their own bridges. They will extend their own hands, if you will. And each of these hands, somebody needs to go latch onto them and then you can build a bridge. But the emergence of a completely new company, which is just building bridges, right? All these connectors may not necessarily work well you know, because much of that market is now entrenched with all of these companies. And if they build the bridges together, that might work. And what you're saying is maybe that bridge is everyone builds their own small bridge towards the next goal, towards the next goal. And it might be a network effect around it. Yeah. Uh, is that the utopian world that you see, which is continuing the mesh? Most likely thing, if, even if you go back to how the internet is set up, where developed because there was a bunch of protocols, everybody connected their computer to it, and it's this whole big thing. This is just the past kind of analogy, but it's like that where everybody is going from this sales-led to product-led utopia where things need to be more transparent and not everybody is going at the same speed not everybody thinks that they should move with the specific technology so the emergence of one really large player that comes bottom up and says everybody's on this or you die is very unlikely but the strong partnerships with key players that are all like $10 billion type of companies that become the market leaders in their sort of niche verticals and they partner well together is more likely. Okay, there you go. And to all the listeners, maybe that's the utopian world that we're looking for, at least in the mid to near term. Again, thank you so much, Arjun, for sharing all the insights. And to all the listeners, this podcast will air on Spotify, YouTube, 
and various other podcast catchers. If you're interested to have a little more topics or you have any suggestions on which of the other guests we can bring to the fore, do send us a feedback or drop it into any of the channels that you use. Again, thank you so much. Happy listening.